Hey, is anybody else excited about Christmas? Yeah, you are? Do you, hey, do you have, tr- <laughs> she is. Do you have trouble going to sleep the night before Christmas? Yeah, uh, I, I don't anymore. I used to. I used to. Uh, when I was a kid, man, oh, it was the hardest thing to get to sleep. I was so excited and amped. And look, I don't, I'm not ashamed to admit it to you. I was excited because of all the presents I knew I was going to get. I mean, God blessed me with a mother whose primary love language is giving gifts. It's amazing. And you know what's even better? I'm an only child. Yeah, I didn't have anybody to play with. But I never had to share a thing, man. I'm talking Masters of the Universe and Star Wars and G.I. Joe. Like, I had half the galaxy and the means to defend it, buddy. Like, I could, I could take care of that, you know. And so I would go in there Christmas morning, and, buddy, I was just like a Tasmanian devil, man. I'm just ripping presents and ripping presents. And I don't know if this has ever happened to you. But invariably, I would get down, and I would open that present, and I would say, all right, where's the next one? And at some point, Mom would go, well, honey, that's, that's the last one. That's it. And in the midst of all that decadence, I somehow found myself sad. Like if I'd have known it was the last one, I'd have savored it a little, you know, opened it slower or something. I probably wouldn't have, but, you know, I would have wanted to know it was the last one. So I remember one year we went to um, my cousin's house for dinner that night, like a Christmas dinner. And when the adults weren't paying attention, I snuck off to their Christmas tree. All their gifts were still there. They haven't opened them yet. I have no idea why. But I start looking around, and I found a present with my name on it. It's not the last one. I found another. So I ran. I ran over to my cousin, who's just a few years older than me, and I said, Look, does that say Brandon? She looked at it and said, No, it says Barbara. As in my mother, the woman who lives here. So I took it back. It was that year I vowed I was going to learn to read cursive. (laughs) But it was also that year that I began to understand that there's always going to be that one more present. We're always going to think if there's just one more thing we can have, then everything will be okay. When you're a kid, it's a Christmas present. But when, when you're an adult, maybe it's, it's a job or, or it's a relationship or it's a number on a scale, right? If we, can just, if we just get there, then we can fill that gaping hole that is in our heart. That's why the season of Advent is so important because the longing just tells us that we need. It's Advent that tells us what we need. And that is why we have this series. That's why we're kicking off this Advent series today, Longing For. Today it's meaning. Every week it's a different aspect of the longing that we have because they're all just a part of this big void that we have inside all of us. So today we're going to look at Luke chapter 2. And there is a story in there. There's a couple of individuals that had this kind of longing, okay, this, this thing that they desired more than anything. And like us, they came to understand that that longing can only be fulfilled in one thing, that, sh- that the shape of that void in our lives, it's shaped like God. Jesus Christ is the only fulfillment to any and all longing that we could ever have. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to Luke 2, if you haven't already. We're going to read verses 25 through 38. It's kind of long. I understand that. We'll go pretty quick, but we kind of need to read all of it because it all goes together. So would you do me a favor? Would you stand in honor of the reading of God's Word? 
And let's read this together. Luke 2, verses 25 through 38, they say this. So now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. We'll get to that. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And he had been, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord Christ. And he came uh, in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all your peoples. A light for the uh, revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. And his father and his mother, meaning Jesus's, marveled at what was said about it. And Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And then there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from the time she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. And she did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up to that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. May the Lord bless the reading of his word today. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word. May you open our eyes to what it says. May you open our ears and our hearts to what you're telling us this morning through it. And may we ultimately find our longing in you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks. You guys can be seated. So I want to make sure we understand the context of what we got going on here, okay? Jesus had just been born. So the kid's like eight days old at this point. And according to uh, the Jewish law, Mary and Joseph have to make a couple of trips to the temple. All right, The first one is around eight days. They have to go and Jesus has to be circumcised and they have to dedicate him in the temple. And then a few weeks later, Mary then has to come back for her own ritual cleansings. It's part of childbirth and that whole thing. Okay, So somewhere in the course of all of this, these two bump into Simeon and Anna. Two old people that they have probably never met in their entire lives, but somehow know who they are. They come right up to them. They're prophesying. They're talking about their kid. They're taking the kid out of their arms. Like, this is a little weird in this moment. But if we can get past the weirdness, I think we'll begin to see some of ourselves in Simeon and Anna. I think we can begin to understand how God wants to work to fulfill the longings that we have and how we need to respond to that. So that's our goal today, okay? So look back with me. Uh, there are, I'd love to go verse by verse through this. This is really great stuff. But I want to pick out kind of three key themes, uh, three key ideas here that we get from this narrative of Simeon and Anna. And the first one is the one that we're going to spend the most time on this morning because it really does set up our series about longing. And it is that. I want to look at the issue of longing. Okay, Um, uh, 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 because we all have these longings, these deep concerns and desires of our heart. But here's the thing. We don't realize this, but did you know that most people kind of long in layers? Okay, we long in layers. And here's what I mean by that. Look at what Simeon is longing for. Look at verse 25. He says, uh, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, God promises Simeon this huge thing. 
So in the course of all of Simeon's life, his devout living, his righteous obedience to God, he says, Simeon, you're not going to die until you see my promise come to fruition. You will actually see the Messiah. Now, I'm going to get to that whole consolation of Israel thing in just a second, but think about that. Think about that for a second. God made this promise to to Simeon, but here's the problem. Simeon's time is running out. Dude's old. Now, how do we know it's old? Well, because, look at 29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You're letting your servant depart in peace. You know what he's saying there? He's saying, I'm good. I'm going to go home, sit in my recliner, and just drift on up to heaven. I'm going to go home, and I'm going to die. Okay? That tells me he's probably pretty old. Okay? All his life he served. All his life he's longed to see the Christ, and now here he is in the form of this little baby, something that only the Holy Spirit can reveal to him. Okay. So then he enters into this kind of this section of verse a little bit in this prophecy and this blessing over Jesus and what he says to Mary. Uh, and, and traditionally, Christianity calls this the nuke dimittis. And I don't speak Latin, so I probably didn't say that right. Okay. But that's Latin for now dismiss. In other words, everything I came here to do, I just did. Everything I came here to see in my life, I just saw it. And now I can go home and I can die a happy man. So this is a very deep personal longing for Simeon, okay? But what about Anna? She's got a longing in her heart as well. Look back at verse 36. What do we know about her? We know that she was a prophetess, so she clearly walked with the Lord and proclaimed his word, okay? We know that she was the daughter of Phanuel, but more importantly, she was from the tribe of Asher, okay? We know that she was advanced in her years. It says that she lived with her husband for seven years from the time she was a virgin, and and the CSB translates that she was then 84, a widow, until she was 84. So we can get lost in the numbers if we're not careful, but let's assume, just for the sake of argument, that uh, Anna got married about the same time that most girls in that culture get married, so probably around 14 years old. Some of you just went, huh? (laughs) Well, that's going to change the Christmas dinner dynamic. So she's 14, she lives for seven years with her husband, and he dies. Can you imagine being a 21-year-old widow? And guys, this is a culture that practically links the survival of a female to the provision of her husband. So what in the world is she supposed to do? It'd be easy enough for her to get remarried. She's from the tribe of Asher. And what you, mean, you need to know about that is that Asher is traditionally regarded as the tribe where the, the women are very beautiful, okay, and uh, very eligible. And in fact, most of the brides for high priests and for kings, they come, they come from the tribe of Asher. So this would not have been something that, that would have been that difficult. But Anna did, did not remarry. And depending on how you interpret this, she's either 84 or if she had been a widow for 84 years, that's going to put her close to 105. That's a long time. So what was she doing during all this time? Look at the second half um, of, of this verse. So she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. So Anna, like Simeon, had a lifelong investment in the birth of Jesus. She longed for it, whatever it was. And so there's my point. Remember what I said that about we long in layers? So we all have these things that are on the surface, these things that kind of pervade our lives, the things that we long for. But all of those are typically related to something that is under the surface, an underlying longing that most of the time we don't even know we have unless we're smart enough to pray for it 
to ask God to discern it and see it in Scripture. So more than a promise for Simeon, more than a loss for Anna, they longed for something bigger, something that was bigger than themselves, okay? So they called it the the consolation of Israel, the, the redemption of Jerusalem. So now, let's talk about that. So what does consolation mean, just as a word? So it's, it's comfort, right? It's, it's solace. Consolation, literally a consoling. A pat you on the back. It's going to be okay. A don't cry. So the consolation of Israel? What's the matter with Israel? Why do they, why do they need consoling? See, if you, if you take your Bible and, and you open it up, like there's the Old Testament and then there's the New Testament, okay? And there's one page that separates them. Well, that page doesn't exactly do justice to the 400 years that happened in between those two parts of the Bible. We call it the 400 years of silence. That's only because God didn't speak during that time. But here's the deal. It wasn't so silent. Israel had thought God had forgotten them because of everything that was happening to them. Go all the way back to Exodus. Think about being enslaved in Egypt. Let's fast forward to to Babylon, the exile to Babylon. Let's think about Persians and the Medes, okay? And now in this time between the Testaments, they just get, because of the Greeks, they just get passed back and forth and bounce back and forth between the Seleucids and the Ptolemies. And you can read your history books and you can find out all about that. But in the middle of all that, they endure some horrific things. The desecration of their temple, mass genocide happens. Then there's this bloody insurrection where they finally gain their independence only to kind of self-destruct under their own rule. And so here they are, right back in Luke 2, and now they're under Roman occupation. God has forgotten about us. And so you have this small group of people, like Simeon, like Anna, who long for the consolation of Israel. Where do we get that term? In the writings of the prophet Isaiah. As we go through all of this, he is continually writing. God is speaking to his people through Isaiah. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. This is Isaiah 40. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and announce to her that her time of service is over. Her iniquity has been pardoned and she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now that is what we call a messianic prophecy. Okay. In other words, this prophecy points to the Messiah. That is how God's going to accomplish all of this. And so what Simeon and Anna were looking for was the consolation of a nation, yes, through the redemption of a people by way of the promise of a Savior. And so there you have it. That's the underlying promise to everything that they were longing for on the surface. That's why Simeon says, now I can go home and die in peace. But I want to take it just one step further, okay? Because uh, this uh, longing for Simeon and, and, and Anna, for, for Israel, for, for Jerusalem, we, we see that. But, but look at verse 30. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people, Israel. Well, now that's new. Gentiles I thought the Messiah was just supposed to be for the, for the Jewish people. There's your longing in layers. You've got yourself, your heart, the things that you know you want, the things that you long for. Then there's that deeper level, the things that you can read the Scripture and you can understand. It's all kind of coming from that, right? Our salvation in the Lord, our purpose and our identity in Him. But then there's yet another layer of longing. That is which that what the Lord wants to do through you on the other side of your salvation. Salvation is not the end. Salvation is the beginning. 
right? So what is God going to do? And so there's a whole nother level that is right there. Jew and Gentile. Not just the, the consolation of Israel, but the salvation of the world. See, God's plan is always better than ours. And because it's better, sometimes it can also be harder. Did you see what he said to Mary? Look at verse 34. Behold, this child is appointed for the full, or fall rather, and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Now, the fall and rise thing, that's nothing new. I mean, all through Isaiah's scripture, he talks about how the Messiah will be a, a stumbling stone for many. Okay, so that probably didn't come as much of a surprise. But he looks right at Mary and he says, and raising this kid is going to be like a sword piercing into your heart. Now, I'm not incredibly emotionally intelligent. So, like, I may sometimes say something insensitive to a new mother. This just feels a little over the line to me, doesn't it to you? Like, give me back my baby, you weirdo. You know? It didn't make any sense to Mary until she stood at the foot of the cross. And she looked up and she watched that soldier pierce his side. And at that very moment, don't you know that it pierced her heart? The cross was God's plan, and it came at a heavy cost. Because the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. And that is why the promise of Advent is the consolation of our longing. It is not what we planned. It is not even what we would expect. But it is God's plan for Mary, for you, for me. Point two. A lot of you are looking at your clocks right now and you're thinking, he's just not a point two. I hope I get to see my own kid before he finishes his sermon. Don't worry, the rest of them go pretty quick. The waiting. When God delays, do we trust him for his timing? Because, you know, the question isn't always what God will do. A lot of times it's when God will do it. Answer, probably not on your timetable. Probably not. Isaiah 49 mirrors what I was telling you earlier about the need for Israel to be consoled. Zion says, the Lord has abandoned me. The Lord has forgotten me. You ever felt like that? That God just somehow forgot you were even here? Pray into a big old empty room. So when God delays, what do we do? Well, first of all, we call it a delay. As if he's on our timetable. As if he failed to meet our deadline, right? So we call it a delay. But you know what else we do? And this is worse. We stop expecting him to answer. When it comes to God, we manage our expectations. God does not need you to manage your expectations of him. Your affections, maybe, but not your expectations. It is okay to expect God to do exactly what he said he would do. And I'll tell you why I know this. This is, we're about to get a little nerd out. You ready for him? We're going to get some Greek stuff going on here, okay? So, so like if we spoke Greek, anybody? There's a couple of you, I think, that do. So if you do, and I get this wrong, don't tell anybody. They won't even know, okay? So um, 
if you look at verse 25 here, okay, where it says that Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. So that word, waiting, uh, there's a Greek word that he uses here that actually has a little deeper meaning, okay? Uh, the word is prostekamai, and that word means he's waiting with expectation. He's waiting, anticipating to receive it, okay? So we got that. So then later on in verse 28, Simeon takes Jesus out of Mary's arms. And so the regular Greek word for that would be lumbano. He lumbanos Jesus, okay? But Luke doesn't do that. He uses a kind of a different Greek word, and he makes a play on words. So just like Simeon was waiting with expectation, prosdecami, for the consolation of Israel, as he takes Jesus, he receives decomai, the very promise he's been waiting for. Simeon and Anna could wait with expectation and never give up. They could go to the temple day in and day out. How? Well, Simeon tells us, he says, according to your word. Did you see that? According to your word. They knew the word. They knew what God had promised them. And because of that, they not only knew God's word, but they could take him at his word. That's why they could trust God's timing. Because like him, God's timing is perfect. Now, I would have had a point three, but this is about the time when Alabama hit the third overtime last night. So you are loved and you are sent. <laughs> I'm joking, Jay. He's like, I'm so funny. I got a point three. I wouldn't be a Baptist preacher without three points for crying out loud. The living. We got the longing. We got the waiting. But we cannot forget about the living because faith is a daily exercise. Simeon and Anna, they were there in the temple when Jesus got there. Did you notice that? Like, how'd they know? I don't think Mary and Joseph put it on their Facebook profile. Going to the temple today. Big day in the life of our family. No. They didn't know when he was going to come up. You know how they knew? Well, for Simeon, he walked with God and the Holy Spirit directed him. He told him to be there at that time. Anna, well, she's probably there anyway. She's already there day in and day out. They didn't just leave a note that said, would somebody please call us when Jesus gets here? They didn't do that. No, instead they waited and they followed the Lord. Day in and day out. Years of hoping, of proclaiming something that had been proclaimed for centuries and not been realized. God has forgotten us. God has abandoned us. And they keep saying it. They keep hoping for it. Even though no one is noticing anymore, probably not even caring, they're being faithful. Even if to them it feels like it's making no difference. And then one day, it does. Because they learned how to live in the wait. So what do we do with this story of Simeon and Anna? Like, how do we understand that in the context of our own longings, the longings of our hearts? So I have, I have three quick takeaways that might answer this question for you. The first thing I think we have to do this morning is we have to learn uh, to lean into our longings. We have to lean into them. In other words, whatever it is. For me as a kid, it was Christmas presents, right? But for you, it may be, I don't know, bank account, a relationship. You see, it's easy to think that way. It's easy to think if I could just have that one thing, that'd be the key. 
Like that'll, that'll fix everything. Things will be so much easier. I'll be happy. I'll be fulfilled. Did you notice what Simeon called Jesus? A light. You know what a light does? Shines on stuff. And if you trust Christ as your light, he will shine on the longings of your heart and he will help you understand what is worth waiting for and what is not. So my question to you this morning is this. How do you fill that void in your life? That longing, that pain, that hurt, that emptiness. Do you just read a bunch of books, watch some movies? You just binge watch TV shows one after another, like just some kind of form of escapism, you know? Maybe you do that with current events. you got cable news on constantly, and you just fall right into the, the drama du jour that they're serving up for you every day. What about food? Do you fill your emotions with, with food, or, or maybe you get numb with alcohol, or, or maybe you go to the office and you work a little harder than you probably need to, maybe harder than your family wished you would? For some of us, you know what? We do this with our kids. We try to put our kids in that hole in our heart. Their issues, their happiness, because uh, our success as a parent is directly proportional to their happiness as a child. Guys, listen. Your kids can't be your savior. You know why? Because they need one too. And it's up to you to show them who that is. This is truth today. Let me, this is just Brandon speaking some truth over you, okay? We all want identity. True? But if we can't find it, we will gladly settle for a disguise. We all want purpose. True? But if we can't find it, we will gladly settle for a distraction. What are you putting in that heart of yours? Is it a disguise? Is it a distraction? Because whatever it is, it's not going to work. It's not going to work because only one thing is our identity. Only one thing is our purpose. And that thing is Jesus Christ. He is the very consolation of our souls. We love to quote Jeremiah 29, 11, don't we? Anytime we want something from God, well, I know the plans you have for me. They're awesome, right? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And, and, and I'm not trying to be trite about those words. They're beautiful words given to, to God's people in, in an extreme time of need. But I don't understand why we stop there. I don't know, maybe it's just you can't fit any more on the pillow? Because listen to the rest of it. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord. We have got to learn to long for God and God alone. So whatever the world has done to you, whatever it has left you with or left you without, whatever uh, depression, whatever desperation, whatever longing, we've got to learn to peel back the layers of that longing and find our hope and find our peace and find our purpose and our joy in Christ Jesus and Jesus alone. Lean into our longing. Second takeaway this morning. We've got to be willing to wait for whatever it is God will do. I, I may have shared this with you before, I can't remember, but I was a real, um, like a colicky baby. I was sick all the time, and so I cried a lot. 
And there were a lot of nights I would cry through the night. And the only way that mom could help me get any relief was to sit in a rocking chair and hold me, hold me upright, you know, so I'd feel better. That was the only way I could get to sleep. And that means that's the only way she could get to sleep. And so there were a lot of nights she just held me and rocked me and prayed and longed for the morning. I think there is something that God can only do in our lives in the waiting. It's a preparation. It's a time where he teaches us to be able to recognize his provision when it comes. God's plan is better than ours, and it is probably not what we expect. You know why? It is because God's provision of our needs is bigger than our perception of them. Did you hear me? Let me say that one time, one more time. God's provision for our needs is far bigger than our perception of them. And if you are trying to solve things and you're looking through a lens other than the gospel, other than Jesus Christ, then your problems are way too big and your God is way too small. The solution, any solution to any problem that does not involve Jesus is not a solution at all. At best, it is a disguise or a distraction. We have to learn to wait on the Lord. And if we do, to let him renew our strength, to mount up with wings as eagles, to run and not grow weary, to walk and not faint. There's a reason God put that in the Bible. In his perfect time and only then we'll be able to look out the window and see the sun come up. Sorrow endures for the night, but joy comes in the morning if we wait. Lastly, we got to learn to live while we wait. So many of my friends have come to me and have said, you know what? All that time I was hurting, I was desperate, I wanted something so bad from God and I would pray for it. When he channeled that into me helping others, it was amazing what happened in my heart. Like I began to, I began to heal and I began to trust. I began to trust God again and to trust in his timing. You see, that's God's plan. He wants to use us. He comforts us so that we can comfort others. And he puts us all together to do it. You know what he called it? Church. Yeah. Yeah, he starts off with Adam. This is what I look like. Then he, then he makes a people. This is Israel. This is what I look like. Then he sends us Jesus. This is really what I look like. And so Jesus now takes up residence in each one of us. And now this is what God looks like. The church. And the image that God gives us to understand that is we're a body. Okay, and so you are the church, but you're a part of the church. And so you're a part of the body and you're a part of the body. We all do these different things, but we all have to learn to work together. I got this friend, his name is David. And growing up, David was one of those really cool guys. Like he had every tool, he knew every trick. Like you had a problem, you took it to David, he could fix it. Even if it wasn't broke, he'd still fix it. He'd make it better. He and Papa got along real well. So when I went on my sabbatical to Alabama to spend a few days cleaning out Papa's shop, we called David. We said, could you come down here and take a look at some of these things in this shop and just tell us what they are. Tell us what to do with them. 
He said, sure, I'll be there. He pulls up in his car and he opens the door real slow. And the first thing that comes out is his cane. And he works his way over the course of a few minutes, slowly out of his car, leaning against it, scooting the whole way to the back where he can unlatch his motorized wheelchair and plop down in it and wheel himself into the shop. A few years ago, David had a massive stroke and it left the entire left side of his body seized up like this. He can't move it. He can't even open his hand. Like you can, it won't open. It's permanently just locked. And I would watch David wheel around that shop and you would see it's still muscle memory for him. He would go to reach something and realize, oh, I can't. And you could just see the longing in his face for his body to work the way it was intended to work. He still wants to fix things. He still wants to make things new. And he can't. And it reminded me of that time in Matthew when Jesus looks out over Jerusalem and he weeps. And he says, how I have longed to bring you in if only you were willing. God longs for his body the church, to work according to his plan. That's you. But too many of us are seized up in debilitating paralysis, a pit that we have dug made out of our own longings. We are not fixing anything. We are not contributing to what God wants to do through us. And it's only until we We just let go. We open our hands and we let God tell us what is worth longing for and what is not. We sit and we rest and we wait in his time. And as we do, we truly learn to live. As Luke comes this morning to lead us once again in worship, I want to ask you to bow your heads. We're going to have just a couple of minutes to give you some space, to give you some time to pray, to talk to the Lord. And I want to ask you during this time to ask the Lord to reveal to you what hurts. What are your pains? What is the emptiness? What are you dealing with? And then I would suggest to you that none of that is because of something on this earth that you don't have there is nothing temporal that can save an eternal soul what you're feeling that's a hole in your soul that's a hole that can only be filled by one thing the savior that at this time of year we celebrate as a little baby a promise that you can hold in your arms He's that one last gift. All wrapped up, waiting for you to receive it. And after that, there need be no other. So as you pray this morning, will you accept the gift that is Christ? Will you lean into your longings? And will you trust God and God alone? However the Lord leads you this morning, you respond. 
as you pray.